fanatics welcome to episode 95 of the bulletproof podcast i am your host chris the brain chad cruz is on assignment and that means he's moving from the guest chair to the co-host chair my good friend the toy man christy petrillo chris thank you for doing this show with me i'm locked and loaded as always it is a pleasure to join you uh missing our third stooge tonight but i think you and i can handle it I do believe we can, uh, and we are going to be going back in time. We haven't been in the 80s in quite some time, and we're really getting right at the beginning of the 80s for our discussion of The Exterminator. But before we get into that, uh, we've got some news. And, I, you know, I hate that this is like becoming a regular segment, the second show in a row, where we've had to talk about people uh, in the action world that we have lost, but... Shocking news late Monday of this week, Treat Williams in a a fatal motorcycle accident. Uh, Definitely gone too soon, Chris, but boy, did he leave us some great movies. He did. uh, You know, I know that Joe Piscopo kind of poked fun at it in his act at one point, but I always enjoyed Dead Heat. I think that's a great movie. And, uh, you know, it's definitely got that cult fandom, that cult audience out there. And, uh, you know, he picked up the slack when Tom Berenger left the substitute franchise and those sequels, you know, I, I enjoyed them all. I enjoyed that entire run. And uh, he did a great job stepping in Berenger's shoes in the second, third and fourth film. Yeah, I mean, and that's never an easy thing to do, obviously, to kind of pick up a franchise or continue a franchise after like the the star that is synonymous with it leaves. Uh, you know, Treat Williams did it and he did it fantastically. I think the Another great example would be Sasha Mitchell, who did it with the uh, Kickboxer series. But oh, yeah, yeah, you know my thoughts on Kickboxer too, for sure. And yeah, and if you want to hear them, uh, go check out the archives because we did in fact cover Kickboxer two. And as a matter of fact, when we when this drops, I believe it's Kickboxer two's uh, anniversary, uh, released June fourteenth, nineteen ninety one. So thirty two years. Oh, yeah, I remember the first time I saw it and taped it off television. <laughs> that just that just hit me right there. There, there you go. But yeah, uh, definitely our condolences go out uh, to treat Williams' family and his friends. And obviously, I know a lot of fans uh, just reeling from this information. And uh, yeah, not good, not good. I hopefully again, I hope this has not become a regular feature here on on the podcast when we kick things off. But how about some good news after that? We got we got some uh, good news. Our friend, friend of the show, friend of the site, Michael Worth. Big weekend this past weekend at Tribeca in New York. He was able to he was there for the premiere of his long-awaited Bruce Ploitation documentary. He's been working on this thing for years. Enter the Clones of Bruce Lee, and I am anxiously awaiting news as to when I will be able to see this film, Chris. I know you're you're anxious to see it as well. I am. You know, we uh, we recently covered some of the uh, famous Bruce Ploitation entries uh, on the site on BulletproofAction.com. And uh, we've long been fans of that genre. But uh, no one is a bigger fan of Bruce Ploitation than Michael Worth. And it's nice to see him getting his kudos uh, by getting this film out there. And I am uh, equally eager to watch this one. A labor of love for him, uh, and you know, I hopefully we can maybe get him back on the show here soon to talk about that, and maybe a PM Entertainment Classic. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. Uh, but definitely would love to talk to him again, and I really would just like to talk to him about how a dream could come true because I've yet to experience that in my lifetime. Uh, I get to, almost to dreams come true, and then it doesn't quite happen so i'd like to to know what what it feels like when a dream actually comes true chris i mean your dog is actually sleeping and not bothering you during the course of this recording so well, you know maybe a dream will come true we're only uh four <laughs> minutes only several in, minutes in so th- there's time there's time but yeah severin films is supposed to be releasing the documentary and very strong rumors that uh that documentary will be part of a box set and uh, the, my wallet is already screaming, but uh, it, it will gladly uh, pick up uh, whatever Severn Films is laying down. I could say that yeah. right now. 
there's there's a lot of temptation out there for you and I in the uh, physical media action world right now. But uh, suffice to say, this is a must-have once this one hits the streets. Absolutely. I mean, because as great as these films are, and I'm watching them either on YouTube or Tubi or, you know, I do have some on physical media, usually they aren't the uh, highest of quality. Uh, you know, they're cropped most of the time. And, you know, these, you know, where this box set is going to be the the restorations that you know another thing that michael worth has been very passionate about over the past few years and he has put a few out um here and there but a, a box set would be i'd be all about it all about one-stop shop if you will indeed and uh you know speaking of shopping boy has there been some news from your neck of the woods chris figures toy company Oh, I thought you were talking fire. about all of the comic books that I've been buying for my son lately. Well, there, there's that. But I, I was referring <laughs> to Figures Toy Company. A lot of announcements, a lot of new figures out there. Uh, why don't you tell us about them? Yeah, we just got our first delivery of the summer, and what a delivery it was. We've got a lot of new stuff and a lot of restocks and some popular sold-out items. So we'll start with the new first. Uh, obviously, we've always got the wrestling tie-in with this site and uh we've got five brand new legends of professional wrestling action figures four of whom have never had figures before and then that fifth one has not had an action figure since the heyday of the attitude era so right now at figurestoycompany.com you can get dr tom pritchard brad armstrong mr hughes louis spicoli aka rad radford and the first savio vega figure since the 90s you can also check out the new offerings from the DC Comics side of things. We've got the Super Friends Retro Hawkman figure. We've got the DC Comics Retro Deadman figure. We've got a couple of new Scooby-Doo villains. It's the Vampire and the Gypsy disguises from the uh, Gaggle of Galloping Ghosts episode, one of the most famous episodes of Season 1. Uh, we've restocked the 12-inch Kiss Love Gun figures. We've restocked the Mo, Larry, and Curly Dizzy Doctors figures, the Shemp Brideless Groom figure, the Rosemary from the Rising Stars of Wrestling, just a whole lot of stuff in stock now. Uh, we've got a lot more in the works, a lot more on the way uh, later in the summer. You should start seeing releases from that very special project that uh, we have been working on with Jim Cornette, um, along with more from DC, Scooby-Doo, and other items. So uh, keep tabs on us. Check out Figures Toy Company on all forms of social media. It's uh, Figures Toy Company on Facebook and Instagram. It's at Figures Toy Co. on Twitter. The website itself is figurestoycompany.com. And then as always, as I'm sure I'll plug again at the end of the podcast, but if you want to look up all of my FTC work and some of the stuff that we've got going on, it's also on my personal Twitter at Zach Malibu. So there you go, folks. If you're not saving up for the uh, Bruce Floytation box set, Maybe you want to take that money and go over and do a little figure shopping and figure. St I, I, I find it hard to believe that Mr. Hughes never had a figure. Mr. But Hughes has never had a figure. He's never had any form of a figure. Never had Yeah, I get it. But it's like when you said it, I'm like, that's, but I'm like, no, he, he really never has. And I mean, he was in WCW. He was in, in and out of WWE a couple times. He was an easy. Yeah. Very, very prominent in the mid nineties. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's a guy that's still out there hustling. Um, and I, I mean, he had such a great a look people. too. Like that would have been a perfect thing. You know, you'd think people would be rushing to get that figure. Look, he had a cool look, but yep. And that's why we tackled it. We've got the soft goods on there, the button down shirt, the suspenders, the pants. So, and, uh, you know, and all of these people, uh, that have signed on or the families, We've already sent theirs out, and I've heard, uh, you know, great things from Dr. Tom Pritchard, um, from Brad Armstrong's wife, uh, from Mr. Hughes. Everybody very satisfied, loving the fact that these figures have come out. Um, this will be the last wave, other than the uh, Cornet Project, as I call it. This will be the last wave in the old classic superstar Jack style. Uh, you know, moving forward with whatever we do wrestling wise, we are going to lean more towards the uh, modern articulation, similar to like a Mattel elite. So uh, this pretty much ends the run of uh, completing a classic collection. And now it's onwards towards more of the, uh, you know, as, as they would say in the uh, Mattel line right now, more legends in our line that'll match up with the legends in their line. 
Excellent. And Savio Vega. I mean, that's what a pop he got not just too long ago. What a yeah, what perfect a timing for that release. Was. Yeah, that was you, you guys did well there. Um, so sometimes sometimes things work out, and and that certainly is the case there. Kind of like when I talked to you and I said, you know what, Chad is not going to be able to record anytime soon. So we need to get something out there for for the listeners of the Bulletproof Podcast. And I turned to my left and saw my uh, miscellaneous action Blu-ray section. And I said, why don't we cover The Exterminator? Because it was sitting there on my shelf. And I'm like, I have not watched that movie in years. And that's how, that is the scientific way we came up with the, the theme for episode 95, Chris. I said, we, neither one of us had watched it in ages. Yeah. So it was a perfect time to revisit. This one was released on September 19th, 1980. And, uh, but make no mistake about this, Chris, this is a seventies movie. It has that seventies feel, that grittiness to it. I mean, New York Mm is not the, uh, family travel destination that it would become. Uh, it is not, it was, uh, it was very slowly becoming what death wish three showed us. Uh, it would be exactly. It did. Uh, so yeah, directed by James Glickenhouse, things start off with a bang, quite literally a huge explosion. We see this dude just launched in the air. We are in Vietnam and we've got, uh, we're there with Michael Jefferson played by one of our all time favorites, the late great Steve James and John Eastland played by also the late, great Robert Ginty. Uh, and they soon find themselves surrounded by the Viet Cong and a familiar face uh, as the leader there, Chris. And he has a machete. Yeah, Mr. and uh, we're not talking about Danny Trejo there. No, no. George Chung, who's in, who's been in like a 50 billion things, uh, but very young. Yeah, George. Rambo, Under Siege. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe maybe rapid fire. I'm not sure though. I'm sure now somebody is, is listening and they know that is either true and they're like, good call. Or they're like, you're an idiot either which way. Uh, uh but, you know what? I don't think he was in, he was in showdown a little Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. Not rapid fire showdown a little Tokyo. Thank he you. was also in one of our, uh, unheralded favorites that doesn't get a lot of love, uh, except from us death ring. Yes, death. Yeah, I mean, again, he's he was in a lot of big production, small pro. He was all over the place. Um, he's got a machete. He nearly perfectly cuts a guy, uh, American soldier's head off. I mean, yeah, he, in a in a very grisly slow motion. You want to talk about feeling raw? This was not like your quick, you know, oh. boom fast cut. This was like slow and focused, and you know, you're watching this unfold. And even though you know it's a dummy. Pretty uh, pretty grotesque by action standards. This was more akin to like a horror movie killing. Yeah, Stan Winston was the man behind that uh, bit of uh, gore, which does not surprise me because the man is a, a genius with uh, practical effects. Um, and the same thing is about to happen to our man John Eastland. But I'll tell you what, Mike is to the rescue. And, you know, Steve James already i mean well this was before you know i i saw this well after i saw him in american ninja and uh, uh avenging force but i mean steve james or delta force he is like the ultimate best friend in action movies like he's the guy you want on your side because he is yeah, always he there for you kick some ass with him then have a beer with him I- exactly uh so mike saves john from that uh and again all this is happening it, this, we're like five minutes in and all this has happened explosion guy flying in the air guy getting his head cut off eastland almost getting his head cut off the helicopter comes to get him out of there um this whole sequence which again is just a few minutes costs four hundred thousand dollars which was 20 percent of the total budget so uh maybe that could explain some of the things in the some of the things as we get into this later, because to me, rewatching it, there were a lot of holes, a lot of questions I had as I was watching. I don't know if, if you had the same uh, situation over there. 
Um, but after Vietnam, we, we cut to the aerial view of New York City. We start with the Statue of Liberty. Um, and this is basically the backdrop for the opening credits with a depressing song playing. Uh, and it's kind of matches the mood, though, about what we're about to see. It's very country-ish, very... Yeah, it didn't really fit. Yeah, it, it did not fit the vibe of what we were about to see. And I mean, the, the uh, mood you know... of it, like, as far as just, like, it's kind of down and depressed. I mean, this is not an uplifting film. No, but not yeah, at all. You're right. Not it did, in any sense. It kind of had a country twang to it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't care for it. Didn't the, match the big city vibe. No, it it, it should have had. Yeah, you need some horns. You you need some you need some brass if you're you're talking that or yeah I don't know. Uh, anyway, Mike and John they they basically load and unload trucks for a living now. Um and. We see blue collar boys, blue collar guys, uh, still friends, though, which is great. Um, Mike spots some guys who are there to collect some protection money, um, which comes into play as we go on. Um, But meanwhile, there are three members of the ghetto ghouls, including Irwin Keyes, who is very recognizable individual. Uh, I certainly recognize him from Death Wish 4. And he's actually in the second Exterminator as a completely different character. And if did you, you recognize? I, I do recall. I was I was going to ask if you recognized uh, Ned Eisenberg, the leader of the Ghetto Ghouls, you know, who had appeared in quite a few different things, um, not always action films. Uh, do you remember the uh, fantastic 1980s comedy film Moving Violations? Vaguely. I mean, he, he kind of, would... yeah, he had a familiar fit, but I like I couldn't pinpoint it. Obviously, Irwin Keyes is much more uh, unique look. Oh, uh, true. But, but... Uh, Ned Eisenberg actually became most famous for a recurring role on uh, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. So very different from what he was portraying here. So one would believe he was obviously a, a New York based actor who stayed there the whole time mm-hmm. and, and, and picked up on the law and order. Um, so yeah, we've got these, uh, the ghouls, uh, they've broken into one of the stalls of where, where, uh, John and, and Mike work. John goes to put a shipment into that same stall and, uh, you know, he's basically, it's three on one and he seems like almost helpless, which is kind of interesting for where things are going to go here in a bit. Uh, but it's Mike again, Mike once again to the rescue Johnny on the spot, but it's, I guess, Mikey on the spot. Uh, he's there again, Chris. I wanted, if I wish I was friends with Steve James. That's all I have to say. Especially if he works in a beer warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> But and, you know, talking about like how raw the film was, I mean, you know, when he comes to his aid, that final blow when he drops like the case of beer on the guy. I mean, it's almost like there was no fighting going on. It looks like like what you would do like with your older brother, like, "Ah, I'm going to get you like they were just kind of like tussling around. Like, yeah, it didn't seem like John Eastland's life was totally in danger just yet. But, uh, you know, Jefferson came and kicked some ass and saved his buddy. Yeah, it it was it was kind of odd. So. You know that that happens. They're 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 chased off, um, but the ghouls, you know, they they hold a grudge. And now here's kind of I was a little confused with the timing. John invites Mike to go get a beer with him, but Mike says I got to go see my kids off to school first. So I, I guess they're working the night into the third shift. Yeah, because what is going on with, he's going to, what is Alexa saying back there? Alexa, do you have thoughts on the exterminator? Uh, she, I don't know, I must have triggered something. Alexa, shut up! What's going on on this episode? We've got, a, we do have a third stooge, and her name's Alexa. Uh, now she's heard me. Alexa, stop. Where was I? Don't say that word. It's like Candyman. I'm not going to. See, they're always listening. These devices are always listening to something. Uh, But no, they must be working the third shift uh, because, yeah, they're like, oh, let's go get a beer. Uh, 
but wait, no, I have to go see my kids off to school first. So that's, that was kind of odd, but I get, I mean, I guess that explains. And then I guess there's just people serving beer at eight o'clock in the morning in New York. I was just going to say, I know that this is like old school New York when Times Square <laughs> was like dirty and gritty and stuff, but you know, would there be a bar open at, you know, 7am, 8am? I guess I, that, that was yeah a bit confusing, but again, you know, I, I'm not from the, the city that never sleeps. So you know because mind you these are younger children we do see them at some point it's not like his kids are going off to like a night school class and they're like teenagers (laughs) they're not going to the yeah learning annex later in the evening uh yeah no that's not happening so we on on the way to uh go get this beer mike is attacked by the same ghouls and they pull a little uh rest in peace Iron Sheik move and break his back, basically break his neck. I think they they bust him up pretty good, almost. Yeah, they kill stick him. a uh, they stick a hook in his back and kind of move it around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they they make him humble for sure. And uh, <laughs> then we when we just cut to John, it's not the police. It's not the police who come find Mike's wife. It's John who finds his wife Maria with the kids at the playground. And he's the one who breaks the news that Mike is paralyzed for the rest of his life. And, uh, you know, what a place to do it. Like, you know, the kids are at the playground, not, (laughs) Hey, like we need to go home. Let's talk about it. Yes. Yeah. You're walking with the kids through the playground. They're all happy and stuff. By the way, your, your husband is paralyzed, wounded, attacked. Yeah. You know, you got to have a little bit of tax, John Eastland, but as we find out, he does not have much of that, especially when it comes to the criminal element of New York City. No, he does not. It just, again, this is kind of like, did we just not have the money to pay for two more people to play cops or something? I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on here. And we'll see it again later. Uh, we'll get to that, though. Uh, John does uh, capture one of the ghouls, not one of the three in question, but one of their running buddies uh, and does a little interrogating with his flamethrower, which is kind of the classic cover, even though that's not freaking not his uh, choice. And it's not Robert Ginty on the cover either. It looks like a much cooler guy on the cover <laughs> with the motorcycle helmet and muscles and a freaking flamethrower. I remember as a kid, you know, at the video store, like, oh, that looks really cool, but I don't know probably wasn't probably my parents would not allow me to rent it, but or maybe there was just something in the back of my mind that said, just don't, you're not going to like this as a kid. And I probably wouldn't have as a kid. Um, but, uh, the ghoul gives up that, Hey, we've got a, you know, we got a house where we party clubhouse is what he referred to it as. So, uh, it's not the Mickey mouse club. That's for sure. Oh, definitely uh, not. John goes to this thing and they're they are bumping the tramps classic disco inferno again another sign that this is very near the 70s um and it's the it's our trio of bad bad guys who who did in fact hospitalize mike and nearly killed him um they got some ladies and they also have a cool game of death poster on the wall and uh, yeah, mind you that not only are the ladies there, but uh, you know they're in the middle of certain activities. Uh, the girls are topless, taking their clothes off. They're doing drugs. They're just they're having a grand old time. It's it's, it's a, a celebration for them. It is a party, and you know I was really hoping that hearing Disco Inferno, that classic, would be the new earworm for me. But instead, it's still this, and I've heard this like two weeks ago now. And I cannot stop with this freaking Jamaica ska, and I hold you directly responsible for it. Um, because Back to the Beach is back on streaming. It's on Pluto TV. Yeah, Back to the Beach. What the hell was I? I turned on Pluto, and next thing I know, speaking of the Mickey Mouse Club, I got Annette Funicello uh, on my screen dancing. Back um, to the Beach is an excellent movie. It'll never be covered on our site because it just doesn't fit the vibe. But I urge you all you, to go and watch you, it. If you could jam it in, you would figure out a way. And I don't. I would definitely could. try to figure out a way. Maybe Matt Spector would do a scene of the week um, because he don't give a shit. Uh, so let's let's uh, yeah. So John kicks in the door, 
he's got an M16. The girls get scared off pretty quickly, which I don't blame them once they put their tops on. Um, he shoots one of the three uh, who basically tries to jump at him, captures the, and that guy really got off easy. The guy who got shot, he got easy because he takes the other two, ties them up, drags them down to the basement, and he just leaves them for the rats to eat. If it's one thing New York City is known for, it is the rat population. Uh, bad news, Brown proved it. I was just gonna—I was just gonna make 90. a Harlem sewer rat joke. So there you go. Read my. There's that ESP right there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they, Nate, so yeah, they were. If they were a problem in '90, they were in '80. Definitely a problem in 1980. Yeah. So there you go. Um. So now John is back to work. And he takes notice of these these collectors. Again, it's kind of, you know, everyone just takes notice of these guys for their protection money. Um, and we meet who these collectors presumably are working for. Gino Pontavini, the meat mobster. Which is nothing like Italian the rock man. lobster. But, uh, yeah, Gino. Oh, another yeah. earworm for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now we're going to meet our detective james dalton he is uh played by christopher george and i have an interesting well i don't know how interesting it is but i have a personal connection to christopher george really well not really but my i don't have a middle name because of christopher george did you know that did you know that fun fact i did not know that fun fact i don't have a middle name both my grandfathers were named George, so it made sense that I, that was going to be my middle name. But I think my mom got cold feet when it came time because she's like, she didn't want people to associate me with the guy from the Rat Patrol, uh, at the which was a, a hit at the time or a well-known show at the time. So I'm yeah, well show, yeah, I had no. So instead of being Christopher George. I just, I, she just didn't put a middle name down and I never got a middle. So I'd never had an official middle name all because of Christopher George, which Very I wouldn't mind being associated with him and his fine, especially work. because of the film that he did one year after this one. Oh my God. Mr. Venerius in that office with the pool. We, oh, beautiful. Christopher, yeah, and he didn't live much longer. He did what did he do? Pieces with Bruce Lay. Interestingly, he enough. did. Uh, he did Mortuary, which okay. I have on Blu-ray, but have not watched in a while. Naturally, you would. So yeah, so Detective James Dalton, played by Christopher George of Enter the Ninja fame and Mortuary fame and Pieces fame and Rat Patrol fame, he's there on the case of these three dead ghouls. Uh he heard, you know, so he's going to go to his buddy, the bartender. And I did have an interesting tidbit about this bartender. Do you know who originally was supposed to be the bartender? I do not know. Steve James. Oh. He was only supposed to have a small role, but the, they they decided to give him a, a bigger, give him the friend role. So he got it. So they just had some other random guy play the bartender which was so a big break for steve james there um and the bartender tells dalton about one of the girls he knows that hangs out with those three and candy who she kind of hangs around at the old market area where the truckers go and yeah she's her arms are all marked up she's uh yeah she's got some she's not a pillar of the community no she is not uh the truckers don't mind her though um and that's where Dalton goes. He finds her, arrests her. He has, must have his own special, cool detective Dalton interrogation area. Cause he takes her there. Um, and she's all befuddled and confused as you would think she would be. Uh, and she might spend most of her life that way, but, uh, she cracks and g- apparently gives him a description of who this guy was. Although I don't really know that that ever really comes into play. No, yeah, that's, you know, and that's an important tidbit for anyone who's listening and maybe hasn't seen it or hasn't revisited the movie in a while is that John Eastland is not wearing the helmet that you see on the cover or disguising his identity. He's going out there full on Frank Castle Punisher style, 
no yeah. disguise. Yeah, he just kicks and that just door targeting and, these punks as an M60. Yeah, he makes it pretty. Yeah. I, so yeah, it, I don't know if if that helps. Uh, it doesn't really seem to come into play. So meanwhile, John goes to the hospital. He's visiting Mike, uh, who's uh, he can't really speak. He's on a he got a on a respirator. He, he's like. Again, he can't move. Obviously, it's he's in bad shape. Um, but you know, John is hoping that the news that hey, I got the guys who did that to you, um, will at least cheer him up somewhat. I I don't know, but you know, and then mentions how it felt like he was back in Nam, and you know, it didn't matter if it was right or wrong. He just did what he had to do. Um, and then comes up with this: I have a I figured out a way to get money for your family. He's going to shake down the guy who's been shaking them down. Right. Which, again, now we cut to our good friend, the meat mobster, Pontavini, who's showing off his attack dog before taking his lady to a, a wonderful steakhouse in the city for dinner. Foreshadowing. Uh, yeah. Here's... No. no. All right. Well, there's a couple things I have a problem with this. Right here. Pontavini, first of all... <laughs> I remember reading your notes. I know what you have a problem with in this. He gets, he, they get to this restaurant. Okay. So maybe instead of showing off your attack dog, maybe you should have done something else because they get to the restaurant and he's like, before I have a meal, I better get rid of the last one. So he goes, he's in, so he's like intentionally going to this restaurant to take a shit. Like who wants to Denouncing it. And announcing it. it. Who wants to take a shit in public if they don't have to? Like, I don't. Nobody. Nobody. Like, build a nest like you do in emergencies. It's like, come on. I mean, I could could even see people who do it at work because they're there all the time. Like, well, screw you. You may as well pay me if I. But no, you're just going out to a restaurant. No, you nasty bastard. But here's the other thing I want to know Is this something regular? Was Eastland, like, Staking this guy out for weeks to know that oh he's every time he goes to the restaurant he takes the shit first so I'm gonna hide in the fucking trash can and hope that nobody in between comes in there and throws something in there. It it I didn't understand that um, but there he is that's exactly what happens. His bodyguard goes in checks the stalls checks you know nobody's in here. You, it's all all clear, Mister Pontavini. Go take your shit, you nasty fuck. Um, and he goes, it's kind of like takes... the Godfather, how Tessio knew where to hide the gun. He's like, yeah. Oh, they got one of the old toilets with the pull chain. Like, did you take yeah. a shit at every toilet in the five boroughs? How do you possibly know this off the top he, of your head? He knew it, yeah, he knew it. Um, so Tessio's there, no, Tessio wasn't here. So, yeah, John's in the trash can, Mobster is washing his hands, which at least he washes his hands. I'll give him that much. Uh, but John sneaks up, he has a, a, a needle syringe i should say just boom drugs him knocks him out drags him out the window uh when pontavini wakes up this is probably one of the most famous scenes that this is definitely one of the things i remembered uh from the movie he's chained up to the ceiling on a kind of a and he's got he rolls the industrial meat grinder right under his feet uh, and this is not a good situation if you're uh, the meat monster, Chris. And kind of a ironic situation as well that he may himself become meat. Yeah, the uh, that last bit of meat that comes out of the machine was looking a, a little extra bloody because John Eastland was not satisfied with uh, the things that happened between he and Pontavini. Uh, you know, despite the fact that he had the mobster tied up, basically dead to rights. Uh, the mobster basically swerved him, and uh, he paid for it. He does, yeah. So he's like, I, I need money for my friend. Uh, and he knows he's got money because he's got guys collecting all the time. Um, Pontavini's trying to be, you know, obviously he knows he's kind of screwed. But he has he has a little swerve in there because he's like, here's my, here's the keys. Here's the, the, the code for the alarm, the combination for the safe. Here's everything you need. But he does not mention that attack dog that we uh, met instead of him taking a shit. So John goes over there. The dog does attack him. um, And uh, it does not end well for the dog. So I I do believe John Wick would not be a fan of John Eastland. 
No. Yeah, this is not a scene that uh, the ASPCA would be proud of. No. Um, he does go back, and he even says, if you're lying to me, I'm coming back. Um, and Pontavini did, in fact, lie to him. Uh, and he goes back and starts doing some grinding, and I know one of the notes I saw on IMDb, or the kind of the goofs, is why why do you see, like, no clothing or shoe, like, leather or any, it's like just, like, bloody meat. It's not like he was hung up there naked. So, but again, I, that that's a, a detail that. I mean, we don't know. Maybe he took his shoes off. Maybe maybe it was just like maybe. you know, bloody feet meat. Maybe that's true. Could be bloody feet meat. Um, but obviously he doesn't like grind him. I don't. That's it. He's like in the hospital then, like all bandaged up, like the mummy. So, I don't know. It, 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 Very, you know. It's a meat grinder, and they've got him wrapped up as if he fell in broken glass like jig- Jigsaw on Punisher right, Warzone. Right, or yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he threw acid on him or something, or just burned him. It, 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 I don't know. I, that, that part didn't make sense either. Um, so Dalton, detective, goes to try to question, but he's not going to, he can't talk. But, you know, Dalton makes the best of the situation, though, Chris, because he picks up the doctor working there, Dr. Megan Stewart. Stewart. And invites her out for a night picnic. What a smooth operator. Yeah, what is with the timelines? I got to get my kids off to school, even though it appears to be in the middle of the afternoon. I'm going out for a night picnic. I, time yeah. uh, time is not of the essence in the exterminator. Uh, it's probably just whenever they <laughs> were able to film, I'm guessing. Uh, you know, again, they, they blew a good chunk of their budget at the beginning. So uh, now we get to meet. A familiar face for you. Not, uh-huh. I know who you mean. I'm talking about the chicken pimp. And he's from one Tony of your D. Own. Tony D from one of your Tony, old Tony D. Benedetto, who actually played a character named Tony D. Uh, yeah. You know, we can't go a bulletproof podcast without mentioning the man, the myth, the dragon, Don Wilson. And oh, uh, Tony D. Benedetto Wilson. was one of his uh, prison buddies in blood fist three forced to fight but uh, he was also in quite a few action movies that you and i are fans of he was in raw deal mm-hmm. he was in marked for death that's right so he he's been yep hero in the terror he's been around the block he's he's appeared with quite a few of the legends of uh bulletproof action but here he was uh you know, in Blood Fist 3, he was one of the good guys. This one, he is most certainly not a good guy. Uh, he is one of the uh, worst, worst yeah, characters. A a very dirty, slimy character. Again, um, going along with the grittiness of uh, late 70s, early 80s New York. He was a kidnapper, a torturer, a rapist. Um, mainly young boys, but uh, would not turn down the chance to abuse and hurt a young lady as well Uh, and uh it's not long before he's uh caught the eyes of our exterminator yeah he uh has he has a great customer one of his best customers who have we later learn is a state senator from new jersey you know likes his uh, young boys but also likes to throw in a female in the mix every once in a while and that's exactly where we see chicken pimp go after finds a female hooker um but she's like hey i don't I'm not into this scene. And the uh, senator has a soldering iron and petroleum jelly. And this is not going to be good for this woman. No, it most certainly is not. But we don't see it because instead we cut to the romance that is blossoming between Dalton and Dr. Yeah, what a transition. (laughs) Yeah, it's this is, again, very rough very raw type movie because it's not even like it like goes to black. It's almost like it goes to a commercial, but nobody's going to play for commercial time on this. So it, it just goes. And then we start another scene. Um, it's not really smooth uh, how this, this thing unfolds. Not as smooth um, as detective dolphin is with his no, night. He's the night picnics. And yeah, he's got 2000 suspects, but he's got time for Dr. Megan, no matter what. Um, the Meat Monster is the top story on the news, and our uh, actual news anchor, uh, real-life news anchor, reads a letter 
from the exterminator basically saying you know the streets of new york need to be cleaned up pontavini was only the was only the first i'm going for it which attracts the attention of the cia for some reason cia apparently agent... in 1980 everything was still a conspiracy <laughs> so yeah so the, the election is near and we you know, we've got this hard stance on crime and, and whatnot or justice. I don't freaking know how they got to here. But basically, see, Agent Shaw needs to take care of this exterminator because it does not look good for whoever, whether it, I was assuming it's the president. But I don't know. He needs to be taken care of. It's an election year. Isn't it always an election year, though, people? Thank you. Yeah, there, uh, wasn't there a purge election year? Yes, there was. There was. Maybe it may have been covered on our site. Check it out, folks. I don't I don't remember. It wasn't covered by me. So um meanwhile now John is just walking the streets. He's looking for trouble, basically. He's looking for people to clean up. And he happens to get approached by the hooker that was victimized by the perv at the chicken place. Um, but you know, she's, a, she needs to pay bills. She's still got, and we're not talking about Chick-fil-A folks. We mean the pimps hideaway. This is not like an actual, right, um, right. you know, chicken fast food joint or something. Right. Right. This could have been a Sunday anyway. So, uh, she takes, she picks him up. She's still got to, she's still got to work. She's a working girl, um, takes him to the shitty motel that she always takes her, her Johns to. And he's literally a John, uh, in this case. Uh, where you have to pay extra for the sheets. That's a classy operation. Um, they get up to the room. She starts to undress, as working girls are wont to do. And that's where John sees all the nasty scars uh, from her encounter with the perverted state senator and his soldering iron. And that's where she tells him about this chicken place. And he says, no one will hurt her ever again, which is a bold statement. Uh, it's to bold, but it is uh, it is something that he lives up to. Well, in the case of these two guys, but what is he going to be with her 24-7? I mean, she's in a very dangerous profession. This is true. In a very dangerous area, in a very dangerous time. Right. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. And we didn't see her in Exterminator 2, so we got to wonder that she probably didn't make it. No. So... So there you go. So then we see John making his own special bullets. Uh, we kind of get a look at his arsenal, where he gets all this stuff from. I don't know. It's not like the Paul Kersey of Death Wish 3, where he's ordering this stuff and getting it sent to his P.O. box. Yeah, he's uh, a little more MacGyverish with his arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Putting mercury in the bullets. Mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, you know, once he's he's ready to go, he goes to the chicken place, uh, gains entry by telling the chicken pimp he has a six-year-old boy and a nine-year-old boy. He's ready to sell because their mom just died of an overdose, so they got nothing anyway. Uh, and chicken pimp, obviously, that gains John entry into this disgusting establishment. And chicken pimp wants pictures, and that's what sets John off, and he beats the shit out of the guy. Straps him to one of the beds, takes some lighter fluid, and burns that sick mother alive. Well deserved. Well deserved indeed. Burn, baby, burn. Uh, then John, the the perv guy, who just must have a permanent room at this place, um, comes out in the hall to see what all the commotion is, and that was a bad move. Uh, and we find out, or we see the aftermath of what John did to that Senator involves a great deal of blood on the back of his drawers. And, uh, mind you that, um, you know, John did this, uh, because he caught the man, not only in this establishment, which proves that, yes, this is a bad man that needs to be taken care of, but, uh, he had what was, a. a teenage boy teenage tied boy up and face down nude on the bed. Yeah. Apparently, you know, raping and abusing him. Um, and I mean, I will give some credit to the uncomfortableness of the scene. Even when John Eastland's trying to help the young man, he is not trusting of it. He thinks he's about to be hurt or victimized again. Right. And, uh, you know, John Eastland's basically like, you know, get up, get dressed. Don't worry about it. 
And, uh, you know, good for John Eastland for taking some of the scum off that, because uh, even long before I was a father, that is a huge uh, pet peeve of uh, criminal right there. And uh, especially now that I am a dad, you see anyone who's hurting a kid, it uh, kind of draws your ire very much so. So even to see it in film when you know it's fake and they're just actors getting paid for a job, it's uh, it's always good to see vigilante justice come through. Yeah, that's yeah, definitely no one you know i'm sure you know they they say that the original death wish like people were cheering in in the theaters when when bronson started you know killing the the muggers in new york city um i i could i would not be shocked if people were cheering at this point when when these two sick bastards get what's coming to them uh, Dalton does get word that Agent Shaw of the CIA wants to talk to him, and Dalton's like, what the hell does the CIA need to talk to me about? I agree, Dalton. What the hell does the CIA have to do with any of this? Um, but I'll tell you who he doesn't blow off, Chris. His lady, Dr. Dr. Megan. Yeah, Dr. Megan. She calls. He's cooking a hot dog <laughs> with some d- system he's got working in his office. With his lamp and the light. Anyway, he's cooking his hot dog. I mean, is it any worse than anything you could have gotten out of a cart at that time? No. He's cooking his hot dog, hoping she'll be cooking his hot dog later. Because she invites him out to a jazz concert. Um, And, you know, this is where I was talking about. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're working on this case. There's about 2,000 possible exterminator suspects. You would think he'd be putting in some extra hours. Nah, you would think, but no, <laughs> no, he's got nothing but time for the doctor. So yeah, I'll go to this jazz concert with you. Um, you know, and, and you, they kind of start to get to know, you know, she bumps into an old friend. Obviously she had some crazy college fun, but our man Dalton was over in Nam. Not Much like our been. heroes were, but you would think with all of the money spent on the Vietnam flashback, we might have gotten something for Dalton's past, and we don't. We just yeah. hear him say, "Yeah, I was in Nam." Well, he probably wasn't. He's was probably on set limited days they had on Christopher George. He was a big star. Um, the Ghetto Ghouls, meanwhile, they're still at it. They're doing what they do. They're being ghouls of the ghetto, and they mug a poor old lady who's walking home with groceries. Uh, a guy drives by on his motorcycle, you know, a, a, good for him. He, he sees this and is like, hey, come come on, guys. What? This ain't right. Good Samaritan, good citizen. Good Samaritan, indeed. But then John comes in, sneaks up behind this guy who's just trying to help this lady. And he's like, don't move. I'm going to, he takes his bike, takes his helmet, and he gives Yeah, the hero him. robs the good Samaritan. Yeah, the hero <laughs> robs the good Samaritan. And he basically, then he keeps that motorcycle for the the remainder. So yeah. <sighs> Another just oddball thing about this movie. Um they stop at a red light, John blows one of the ghouls away, the other two burn rubber. Uh so the chase continues. John wipes out though, um and falls off the bike. Now they're chasing him, but that that still doesn't it doesn't it ends about as poorly as possible for those guys chasing him. They should have just kept going they they should have got the hell out of there they would have been alive at least for now and that so, leads us to our authority figures oh yeah so now yeah after that now that's the crime scene where these guys are dead uh dalton is there and uh he's investigating agent shaw shows up and like hey you know you're not being very cooperative blah 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 election year <laughs> you know all this and Dalton hits probably the best line in the movie when he says, I think you have to take a shit and it's coming out of your mouth instead of your asshole. Great line. Brilliant line. Christopher George, Detective Dalton. Uh, I guess James Glickenhaus, you are the writer as well as the director. So good on you for that line. Um, but again, you know, blows off Agent Shaw. Who's the first person he calls? Dr. Megan. Let's meet up. Oh, I have to work late, but oh, some of the nurses keep a empty hospital room for such situations. Scandalous. 
Yeah. So Dalton's going to go have some hanky-panky in an empty hospital room um, since Dr. Megan's on call all night. At this very same hospital is where Mike Jefferson is, and John once again is there to visit. Uh, tells him that uh, Maria finally accepted the money that he procured from the mobster. I'm sure he didn't tell her that. Um, and then they have a conversation. Uh, well, it's very obviously Mike can't talk, so he has to communicate by one sided. And uh, basically agrees to John just mercy killing him. So, yeah. Steve James's uh, tenure in the Exterminator 1. It almost, like, why didn't they just kill him? Well, I guess it kind of puts John in the the hospital at the same time as Dalton, so that does does make sense. Uh, The alarm goes off because, obviously, there's a patient freaking flatlining in your hospital um which ruins the fun of dalton and dr megan um dalton's kind of just in the hall getting dressed from his yeah just before he was about to uh score there um and our man he sees john getting in the elevator john's like hey your fly's down and as soon as those doors close chris he's like i think that was a freaking exterminator And so we're slowly now, getting to uh, the revelation of the realization that he's narrowed down his 2,000 suspects, right. which he hasn't spent much time doing. Yeah, just, And just now all of a sudden thinks he's found his guy. Fell ass backwards into that one. So, yeah, I guess his boss can't. Like, where were you? I was hooking up with my nurse or my doctor friend. and But you know what? It was a good thing because I think I may have solved the case. So, yeah, he goes back to, to the precinct, goes to his office. Uh, starts getting ready to go exterminator hunting, gets confirmation that, in fact, that Eastland was in the 144th Ranger Division with Mike Jefferson. Um, and so now they, they think they got their man, so they're going to go to John's place. Um, but John's not there because, once again, wasn't the hospital that called Maria. It wasn't the police. It was John who goes over to tell Maria that Mike is dead. They should change the name to uh, the bearer of bad news. And I think Robert (laughs) Ginty would have been just fine in the role because man, he is just delivering bad messages to everybody. This movie. Yeah. And it's like, he can't like, yeah, there's people who anyway, the bearer of bad news indeed. So when John heads back to his place on his stolen motorcycle, um, he notices a sniper on the roof of his apartment building. So he's like, yeah, I don't think I should go there, which is smart. Um, then he co- goes to a payphone, calls his number, and Detective Dalton, who's, you know, they're like, well, he's not here. We'll just wait for him to come home. He's got to come home sooner or later, which is smart thinking. Dalton picks up, and we get the old meeting place. Meet me at the Brooklyn Naval Yard at Crane Number 5, which is unlike Mambo Number 5, if you want another earworm. Um, basically, come alone or die. But somebody was in in on that conversation, Chris. I don't know. Uh, yeah, much like Alexa listening to us earlier, even right. in 1980, Big Brother yeah. was listening. So Agent uh, Shaw is catching wind of the situation. How did he? I guess maybe he got word that the cops were going to. Uh, the, I don't know. He was listening. So anyway, here it is. Here's our big finale. Uh, John is there and it looks like he's going to actually give himself up. He's giving the gun to Dalton. Uh, but somebody from out of nowhere shoots freaking Dalton. And, uh, we see Shaw and he's got a sniper off in the distance. Dalton's like, you better get the hell out of here to John. John goes towards, he gets shot, plunges into the water. Dalton is shot again, I guess to, get rid of any loose ends um he's dead but we find out eastland had a bulletproof vest on he swims to shore and he'll be ready to exterminate again just a few how did dalton not think that maybe eastland brought a sniper and set him up why was he instantly ready to help him escape how did he not think that uh he was getting set up like hey you think i'm the exterminator i'm gonna have someone kill you off and why didn't he wear a bulletproof vest Mm, also true. 
Yeah, there's a lot of questions, you know, and, and we're so we're to the end here. So let's give our final thoughts on this. You know, there are some movies that the more I watch them, I love them. But I find my found myself the opposite here. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, The Exterminator. I haven't watched that in forever. I should watch that again. And I'm watching them like this isn't a very good movie. The premise is there. The, the the idea is there, obviously. I mean, it's a freaking vigilante movie. Yeah, that works. But there's so many questions, like the ones you just posed, the ones I've been posing throughout, about, about the meat mobster. How did he know the meat mobster goes to take a shit before he eats a steak? How? Why is this happening? Why is the CIA involved? What election? Who? Why? What? When and where? Lots of questions, Chris. Yeah, you know, it's it's a fun movie. I don't know if I would call it a classic. I think the image, like the portrayal of the exterminator, especially like that cover art, you know, the video store era, kinda gives it a little bit more of a legacy than it should actually have. Yeah. I enjoy the movie, but watching it again, you know, to your point, it's a reason why I could watch Martial Law One and Two anytime we see it on Pluto TV. But the exterminator, I could go years, yeah, without watching it. It's just, it's not one that I tend to revisit often because it's so rough. And I and I like a good rough movie, but I think that uh, James Glickenhaus did it much better, um, you know, further up in the eighties when he did things like Maniac Cop. Yeah, this again, yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you because it could be another ten years before I watch this, and I'll be fine. But I will watch every Death Wish movie available to me. If if I we stop recording after this and I turn on the TV and Death Wish, any of them, even five are on, I'll sit there and watch it. But uh, Exterminator, uh, I mean, it, again, it, it has its moments, but uh, I don't know. I don't, a lot of holes in this movie. And I, I suppose there's a lot of holes in a lot of the movies I like, but for some reason these were bothering me this watch. I may have seen Exterminator 2 more than I've seen Exterminator 1, but that's probably also due to the fact that it's uh, it has canon dust under the it. canon banner. Yeah, that was my other thought was we should have watched Exterminator 2. <laughs> that would have and, been you know, and Robert Ginty, I mean, I get that they were going for the whole, you know, Paul Kersey, you know, your average ordinary guy, but he's got a past that allows him to do this type of stuff. Um, not particularly charismatic. No, Very, and, and that was the yeah. other thing I wanted to point out at the beginning was, you know, like he's getting bullied in, in that stall by the three goal, ghouls. And then next thing you know, he's just a killing machine. It's like there's no progression. Like with Paul Kersey, there was a progression. You know, first he went and got the sock with the quarters in it. And th that kind of gave him that power, like, oh, my God. And then he goes off. And gets this gun that, you know, was a gift. And now he's like, well, I got this gun. If the quarters worked, this freaking gun will certainly work. And even after that first kill, you see Kersey throwing up. I mean, it, it affected him where it's just like old uh, John Eastland goes from basically mild. Just finding new ways to torture people. Blue collar guy to I'm now the, this killing machine in, in no time flat. I don't know. Yeah, we should have watched Exterminator 2. If you love this movie, I'm sorry if I'm kind of shitting on it. but we've, we've got plenty of podcasts to go. I'm sure we'll get around to Exterminator 2. And, uh, like I'm I, sure we will. I can't say I hate it. I mean, but it's not one. No, I don't hate it, but like, it's, it's just, we, yeah. It'll, it'll probably be a while before, uh, you know, that Blu-ray of yours gets put back into the machine. <laughs> right. It's going back into the archives where it will. We'll sit there in, in miscellaneous action section uh, because I you know and maybe in the, you know, like in seven years, we'll do a 50 year retrospective. I don't have a uh, I don't have a huge Robert Ginty collection. Uh, truth be Lady told. Dragon. I do. Yeah, but I don't have that on Blu-ray. Do I have? I don't it? think anyone has that on Blu-ray. No, it doesn't uh, exist. I don't even think I have it on DVD. I think or is that Lady Dragon 2 that I now have on Laserdisc? That's right, folks. All right, but yeah, you know, I'm sure at some point we will cover Exterminator 2, but that was Exterminator from 1980, a James Glickenhaus, Robert Ginty 
film. Uh, and you know what, Chris, as I always do on this program, I encourage everyone to check out bulletproofaction.com, the official website of the Bulletproof podcast, where we review movies. We have special features on movies. And I know you'll be reviewing something you're very excited about. And a lot of people are excited about uh, The Flash. That is your next yes. review. It will be. Uh, it will go up. I'll be seeing it on Father's Day. Uh, that's going to be the treat from uh, my wife and my son. We're all going to go see it as a family. Uh, the Flash being my favorite DC comic superhero aside from Batman. So it's great that I'll get both of those heroes in this film. I am very trepidatious going in uh, due to uh, not being so much of a fan of Ezra Miller's portrayal and also knowing that this is basically the reset button for the uh, DC cinematic universe. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, they do have a, a recipe for some entertainment there. Uh, you know, obviously the nostalgia factor with Michael Keaton is playing a big role in the marketing and we'll see how big of a role he plays in the actual film itself. But you can expect a no surrender cinema review of the flash going up on Monday. Very excited about that. Uh, I'm always excited about any post that I don't have to actually write. Uh, so that's good. Speaking of nostalgia, Chris, I plan on covering for the very first time, putting it to the checklist test and randomly selected episode of thunder in paradise. Oh yeah, brother. Talk about something I haven't revisited in a while. Right. I have I mean I I know I saw a few episodes here or there when it originally aired, but it wasn't something I was religiously watching. Um uh, so I'm anxious to go back and see the Hulkster and friends uh do their thing, uh try to capture some of that Baywatch magic that was going on back then. Uh didn't quite work out, but you know, we'll, maybe uh my checklist will be able to determine why that was. Uh, that's always what I try to do. So that's what I know for sure I have coming up. Um, and we'll see what else. Uh, I do know what we're going to be doing because we're going to be back together again next week, Chris, because Chad will still be on assignment. And we're going to cover another of the movies that was in my random Blu-ray action section. We're going to Angeltown next week, Chris. Yeah, and that is one that uh, it's been a little while since I've watched it, so I'm going to rewatch it this week. But I feel like you wrote about that fairly recently. Ah, uh, I have, I definitely, I reviewed it, and then I did a ten things because there was a, a commentary track on the Blu-ray. I'm not, I'm not sure how recent that would have been. I could look that up though, using utilizing the search feature on bulletproofaction.com. But that is a fun one, and uh, you know that's one that you and I have both enjoyed. But one that you know usually doesn't get a lot of play, doesn't get a lot of love. And, and I know that's... it's popped up on things like Tubi and stuff, yep. but it's not one that's usually in the discussion of the uh, the video store era uh, martial arts boom. Here's your uh, you want to talk about recent and whatnot. The review I did was in 2015, and the ten things was in 2018. Wow. It does not feel like, I mean, 2015 was actually before my time. Yeah, that was, yeah. It and was 20... an early one. I think I found it on YouTube and I was like, I'm, oh, okay. I'll watch this. But yeah. And then they put the Blu-ray out probably in 2018 and shortly 2018. after I, I did the, the 10 things. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, I think I've watched it's it since, but uh, again, I, I'm always happy to watch that. The first one for Olivier Gruner. Or Oliver Grunner, if you want. However you want to say it. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, but we're going to be talking about that one. Uh, again, A Star is Born, as I remember on the uh, poster, maybe even on the, the cover of the VHS. They had high hopes for Olivier. And he did actually, you know, as far as uh, our hopes and dreams, he achieved them because he put out quite a few films that we are a fan of. He absolutely did. Uh, and, and Angel Town is up there. I, I think my favorite would be Automatic, but uh, Angel Town's pretty good. Hopefully somebody puts out Automatic. Automatic was good. Savat. Savat is a good one. There's Nemesis, which eh, I like it. I certainly like it more than I like the sequels. But uh, yeah, we're going to be doing that. It's our first time talking about a Gruner, Gruner film. 
here on the Bulletproof Podcast. So, of course, this was our first time talking about a Ginty film today. So, you know, we're crossing off names off the list. That's it. And it's quite a long list. So we've got plenty of people to talk about. Maybe we'll have to do uh, some more Bruce Blatation in the uh, near future yeah. to kind of commemorate and celebrate these yeah, when, upcoming uh, when releases. When Blu-ray set comes out, yeah, I, we definitely have to. Either with or without Mr. Worth. But yeah. All right, folks. Thank you so much. We're we're glad to to kind of get this show back on track. I know we missed last week. Uh, we will be back next week with Angel Town. Thank you again, Chris. Um, You're and welcome. Thank you, everyone, again for listening. And as always, stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. listening to the Geekscape Network.